<laughs> you know, I hate to interrupt people having a good time. This is great. What a statement it makes about how you love being in this church and interacting with one another. You have good friends, and it is great to see that. Nice to have Ken up here giving announcements every week. The Lord sort of reunited us. I don't know if I've told you this, but I, I mentioned I was pastor for many years at Harbor Trinity across town. And for a period of time, there was just a window of time where Ken was sort of visiting there. And, and I would see him every week. He was so faithful. He would sit on the right about eight rows back. And he was attentive. He listened. And it was just great. I would chat with him a little after service, but I had no idea of his amazing talent at giving announcements. It was an opportunity missed for us because we didn't rope him into that. And uh, I'm glad that he serves in that way here, though. Although I'm curious to know why he's up till 1 in the morning. What is going on? Did, did you say prayer? <clears throat> he's a man of God. He's praying for the church. He's going to yell it out to me from the back, but my hearing's so bad. Is, are you working? Okay. Well, it's too bad Ken won't be giving announcements anymore. <laughs> We're grateful for his service, though, which we'll trust the Lord will open the right opportunity for him. This is an amazing passage that we're looking at today, and I just feel so blessed to even be able to cover it with you. This is just uh, this is a huge one. If you think of passages or stories in the Bible, and you think, oh, boy, if you could have been there, Right there on the scene, an eyewitness, if somehow the Lord granted you that. You think, well, for sure I'd want to be there for creation. I mean, when God created her, I'd choose that. And maybe some of you would say, well, yeah, that's great, but I would have loved to have been standing there when Moses parted the Red Sea. I would have liked to have just walked right on through with the, with the nation, with the people of Israel. Some of you probably will know for sure it would have to be when Jesus rose from the dead to be there to see our risen Lord alive, you know. All huge things, and I would agree with wanting to be there for any of those, but I'm going to say that today's passage would have to be on the list. This is such a moment in history, such a huge thing that God does. It marks one of the biggest turning points in all of history for God's people. Bible scholars consider what we're looking at today the third, one of three, the third major divine act in the Bible. It follows creation itself and then the incarnation of the Son of God. And this is the third divine act, considered that big, that, that significant. And we read about it in Acts chapter 2. If you have your outline, you see that it says, Pentecost is my title. It's the, right from this passage. And if you have your Bibles, let's turn. Let's look at it. I've given you that as kind of a setup. And let's see why history is made in this passage we're about to look at today. Chapter 2 of Acts. Beginning in verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray as we take a closer look at this amazing moment 
when out of your great love and grace you came down and, and you reached everyone with your spirit. The believers gathered, oh Lord, what a moment. And Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open. I pray the spirit would fill each of us. That we would let you lead and guide and convict and empower. And that we would just be just humble servants. Soft clay that's just saying, Lord, mold us and shape us. Accomplish what you would have with our lives. So Lord, we pray that this would be a meaningful time. Use your word to touch us. May you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read each. There's three sections I'll read as we work through these 20-something verses. I started with these four, and you see the first point on your outline. I want to take a closer look at this. It says, the Spirit is poured out. What a moment. A high and exalted God, omnipresent, but now so near and at hand, so close as to fill the hearts, the heads, and the voices of Christ's followers. And the timing on this is so, so symbolic. And it's so significant. See, the first thing I read says, when the day of Pentecost arrived. Now, that word Pentecost, Pentecost five, right? So it's 50 days after Passover. And this is when there were one of three uh, annual feasts that the nation of Israel gathered in Jerusalem for. So they're scattered all over the world. But God said in his law, there's three times a year. You need to travel quite a ways, and you need to get to Jerusalem. Three times a year, it needs to happen. And each time there's going to be a long feast, we're going to celebrate. We're going to give glory to God for what he's done. And this is one of them. Now, the other two was, the first one would be Passover. And you think of everyone gathering for Passover. The other one would be the Feast of Ingathering, which was at the end of the harvest season. And those were the other two. But Pentecost is one of the three. It's known as the Feast of Weeks or of Harvest. The first fruits of the wheat harvest were brought as an offering. And so, so scholars say this actually is the first fruits of God's Spirit poured out or, or the first fruits of the believer's inheritance. And these believers are the first fruits of all believers to come. There's one more thing, though, that makes this such a powerful day. Pentecost was the day that it marked the day that, that Jews believed when the law was given to the nation, right? Because there was a day where Moses gave them the law, and the Jews believed it was on Pentecost that the law was given, and that, of course, was God's word to them. So what a powerful sort of fulfillment that God would say on this day, instead of the law, you're getting the Spirit. And, and I don't know about you, but if I have to choose, I'll take the Spirit of God any day to live in this age and this time when the Spirit is given and to be able to receive the Spirit by faith. You talk about a reason to celebrate. So let's take a closer look now at the passage. We, say it's, we see it's the day of Pentecost, and they're all gathered. That means about 120. We learned in chapter 1, now there's about 120 Christ followers who are still there gathered in Jerusalem. And it says they're in a house uh, together. Some think that for such a, to hold 120 people, that's a large house. 
And so some think it might have been a building that was somehow attached to the temple courts or the, the wall that surrounded the temple. Maybe it was somehow uh, built into that, but it had to be a very large room. It also had to be somewhere where when they left that house and they're speaking, all the Jews gathered from all over the world would be nearby and the temple would be an area, the temple courts would be an area where that would happen. And so we get the sense of how many and what is happening. Uh, they might have been studying scripture, they might have been praying, they might have been fellowshipping when these 120 are together. And it's in that moment, and again, the Father is the one who sent the Spirit. John 14, 26 tells us this. So imagine these 120, you know, kind of gathered like this, about this number. Maybe talking, maybe fellowshipping like you just were, and shaking hands. Maybe they were praying. Maybe someone's reading the word. And all of a sudden, they start to hear this wind. And it's a strong wind. But the Bible says it's from heaven, right? We're used to hearing a wind, the Santa Ana's. If you're like me, you know, I got, I got a yard with all these plants. And every time the Santa, oh, no, it's going to be a mess, right? We got this tiki hut I made, and it always tears it up. So, so the strong wind, it, for me, uh, I'm not that thrilled with it. But in this case, the wind isn't one they would recognize. We think of the Santa Anas. Maybe they had a northeaster or whatever. But this says it's from heaven. And it's loud. And pretty soon, this wind this is filling the house. And it's such an appropriate way to describe the Spirit because Jesus said that the Spirit could be compared to the wind. In John, he says the wind comes where, from where you don't know, and it goes to where you don't know, and the Spirit is the same way. So it's an appropriate way to describe the wind, and it, and it fills the house. Now, it says the sound fills the house. I don't think it was actually windy inside the house. Their hair wasn't blowing all over. wouldn't be an issue for me, but for some of you, it's like a, a big thing. It, I don't think there was wind. It was, it's the sound as it's just there hitting the building. And it's done that way, I believe, not only to represent the Spirit coming and going where we don't know, but also to represent power. And some of you probably have been out at times where you get a glimpse of the wind's power. Years ago, I was sailing with my oldest daughter. We have a little Layman 12 sailboat. It's not that big. You put it in a little trailer or a uh, pickup truck, actually can hand carry it down into Newport Harbor, which we did. So we're sailing this little 12-footer in Newport Harbor. And we're cruising along, and I'm thinking, I'm pretty good at this. And I'm showing my daughter how to sail until the wind picked up. And there was a gust, and it went like this right over. And water's pouring in, and now we're panicking. And I'm like, ah, you know, bail, bail. And we're, we're literally bailing out this boat. It didn't go down. We didn't go down with the ship. We were able to ride it and, and, and solve that problem. But boy, did I get a, in just that moment. That wind was so much more powerful than I was ready for. And if sometimes you've been out where suddenly a gust of wind and you're like, there is so much force here, I can't even imagine. And so it's the appropriate way to describe the Spirit because the Spirit comes in power. After that, we see the sound of wind. What is used? The word fire is used. Again, a very powerful force of nature. Fire warms Fire purifies, fire burns. 
Remember what happened to the disciples as they're on the road to Emmaus after Jesus rose and he appears. They didn't know it was him. And he's talking to them. And how do they end that time as he's gone? They say, our hearts were what? Burning within us. Fire is an appropriate symbol for the Spirit. Because when the Spirit convicts a heart, your heart burns. And it just speaks of the influence and also the power. And it's also a kind of a full, coming, full circle because when God spoke to Moses, surprised him. Moses out there tending sheep. What did God do to show up? He spoke through what? A burning bush. Fire representing the presence of God. And so he does it again here. God could have made his spirit appear any way he wanted, but he very deliberately, to bring the scripture to fulfillment, he very deliberately said, I'm going to appear when the spirit is poured out, first of all, wind, and then also fire. And then how does the fire appear, though? There's one more image that's used to describe the spirit. It says, tongues as of fire. And again, how appropriate, because what do tongues do? They speak. They bring forth truth. And so God appears, and the Spirit appears as tongues of fire because the Spirit is about to speak. And for those who have open hearts, there's going to be some burning. There's going to be some conviction. Truth will be received. And this fulfills the prophecy. John the Baptist, Matthew 3.11, he said that Jesus would baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then it says that the Spirit rested on each one of them. The Greek word for rest carries the idea of a completed preparation, a permanence of position and condition. This is very important. Prior to this moment, we talk about history being made. Prior to this moment, yes, God's Spirit would come upon certain individuals. And they would then speak truth as the Spirit led them to speak, the prophets of old. But it was always for just a period of time. And then the Spirit would depart. At this moment in history, the Spirit isn't just arriving and departing. The Holy Spirit is landing or, or arriving and dwelling, taking up residence in all who believe in the name of the Lord Jesus. When we put our faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God makes our lives his home. He indwells us, takes up residence, and that's a wonderful thing to have happen for God to live in, to dwell in us by his spirit. And so it's important where it says it rests. There's a permanence. There's a dwelling. And then because of this, with these tongues of fire, now their tongues speak, and they begin to just declare the wonders of God. They begin to share, and they begin to speak. And this is just what Jesus said would happen. In Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. He said it would be this way. And even back in John 16.13, it says, when the Spirit arrives, the Spirit will speak whatever he hears. So now these believers gathered, filled with the Spirit, 
are speaking. And so you're probably, well, well, what were they saying? What exactly were they saying? Well, we kind of know, but we also kind of don't know. And we'll get to that in point number two. All right, with the Spirit arrived, let's look on. I'm going to keep reading in verse 5. Point number two, the wonders of God are proclaimed. It says, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. The wonders of God are proclaimed. And oh, how they're proclaimed. God wanted to make sure that everyone heard really kind of in their heart language truth that would pierce their heart. And so what did he do? He enabled these 120 Galileans, mostly, to speak languages they never knew, had never learned at all. I mentioned earlier that the nation of Jews, or the people of Jews, arrived from all over the world for this Pentecost for this feast. One thing I didn't point out is some scholars believe that of the three feasts, this was the most widely attended. And they say that because the weather, the conditions for travel would have been the best at this time. And so some would argue that this is the largest gathering. One, one person wrote, there was never a more cosmopolitan gathering in Jerusalem than this one. And you heard the list of nations I won't spend too much time on this, but just to take a, a, a quick look at them. The first grouping, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, they were Jews from uh, kingdoms and provinces in modern-day Iran. So they've come as far away from Iran, about 1,000 miles to the east. Next, it mentions Mesopotamia. That's uh, a region also to the east between the Tigris and Euphrates River, uh, now modern-day Iraq and Kuwait. And Babylon was in that area. And that's where Daniel was exiled to uh, back many years prior. It also mentions Judea. Now, Judea is the area where Jerusalem is. It's the southern part of Israel. And so Jerusalem is there. Go all the way south. Bethlehem is there. People from Judea are here as well. It says Cappadocia and Pontus. Those are modern-day Turkey, hundreds of miles to the north of Israel. And it even says Asia. Asia is not what we think of the continent of Asia. It's actually Asia Minor, which also would have been uh, Turkey, modern-day Turkey. Same with uh, Phrygia and Pamphylia were also Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And then the next grouping is Africa, where we have Egypt, Libya, and Cyrene, all from that continent. 
And then it mentions visitors from Rome, which of course is in Italy and the capital of the Roman Empire. And it says both Jews and proselytes. God has gathered not just Jews, but those who have become Jews by faith. They weren't born with a Jewish lineage. It wasn't their heritage. But when they heard the truth about an almighty God, they heard the scriptures, they believed. And they have also gathered for this event. Ruth is an example in the Old Testament of someone who was very godly and a proselyte, not born Jewish. Lastly, it says the Cretans, that's from the uh, island of Crete, which is in the Mediterranean Sea, and then Arabians, which would have been modern-day Jordan as well as Saudi Arabia. What a heart God has for all people. He made a covenant with the Jews long ago. And even when they're scattered to all the nations, he said, I'm not going to pour out my spirit unless I've gathered you all back here. And when I do, I'm going to have it declared in the heart language that you grew up with. And so the Holy Spirit came upon this group of 120 and allowed them to speak in language they didn't even know. In fact, to emphasize the miracle here, God uses Galileans. And that's the the region of Galilee. That's where Jesus was from and the disciples were from. And evidently, that was sort of considered backwoods. And people looked down on Galileans because they had a strong accent. Somehow they they swallowed their syllables or they spoke in a way that, that made them very distinguishable. And it wasn't considered intellectual. It was kind of the opposite of that. And God says, this is the group I'm going to use to declare the wonders of Almighty God, to share the gospel. Now, anyone who ever thinks that somehow God can't use me, that's just flat out wrong. Because we see it here. Galileans are the ones declaring to the people gathered from all over the world. And they're speaking languages they didn't even know. Imagine the Spirit coming upon you and speaking fluent, perfect Russian or, or Chinese or Italian. I'd even take Spanish. You know, I, I went to school. I learned Spanish for years, and I still struggle to, to speak Spanish. <laughs> but, but what they're able to do, because that's the Spirit of God showing it's not about us. It's about what an almighty God can do when a heart is yielded to him. And so they speak, and among the crowd, there is amazement and there's astonishment, but there's also scoffing. And you heard that in verse 13, right? Others mocked. They are filled with new wine. What a ridiculous criticism. This shows how far sometimes people will go, and you may have been in this place some point in your life. Sometimes people will go so far to deny that God is working to deny that God is real, that he answers prayer, that he convicts heart, that he changes lives. There's a cynicism that can kick in, and the denial will just find a way, and that's what happens here. If you've heard someone who's had too much to drink, they can't even speak their own language well, right? Be honest. They're slurring. They can't even articulate the language they already know. They certainly cannot become fluent in a foreign language. 
and speak it perfectly so that locals from that foreign language, that place hundreds, thousands of miles away, are hearing perfectly the language they grew up with. Because someone had too much to drink. No, it doesn't make any sense. But sometimes there's a hardening and a cynicism that keeps us from just seeing and hearing what God is doing. Well, may we never be that way. Let's always have open hearts like, Lord, I don't want to miss what you're doing. And I don't want to get so in my own head that I just get defensive and cynical. I just want to be yielded to you and receive. And some do, of course, because some are saying, what does this mean? They're trying to understand. And I want to, before I get to the last point, I want to I emphasize something here. I was talking to Glenn about just the worship in this week and what we were planning. And I, the phrase that stood out for me, and I, I wanted he, uh, to, for you to hear this, is what are they doing as the Spirit leads them to speak? It says it. What do they hear in their own tongue, tongues? The mighty works of God. What will the Spirit lead you to talk about? The mighty works of God. That's what it's all about. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. And I believe the more we are yielded to the Spirit, the more we're in tune with how the Spirit wants to use us each day, we will be prompted to talk about God. And it might be a small thing, someone sharing, and you're just like, man, I'm going to just keep you in prayer. Right away, you're letting them know you believe in a loving God who can solve problems, who can help who can work, just in that little phrase, you're bringing God into the conversation. You may share a verse that comes to mind. You may share a story, something God did in your life. But the mighty works of God are on the, on the tip of their tongue as the Spirit leads them. May it be true for us. And we never know when those moments will arrive. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a pastor in Fountain Valley, a, a coastal community. And he was in the movies here a couple months ago, and it was one of the Christian, it wasn't uh, Jesus Revolution, which is an amazing movie, right? But it was a different one that had come out a few months ago. And he went to see it, and he's in the theater, and it was a good movie. But as it gets over, and the lights are coming up, and it's done, he hears something in the, in the far upper part of the theater. And it's a young woman who's, who's speaking out in just a deep, uh, unnatural voice. And he's like, something's going on. So he goes up there, and as he gets closer to her, she's, there's, a, there's a demonic oppression. There's something happening spiritually that's very dark. And, and, and it's, it's not good. And he realizes he needs to step into this. And so he does. And the Spirit just gives him the words, and he just starts confronting whatever is attacking or, or influencing her. And he's like, in Jesus' name, leave her alone. You do not belong here. You have no place here in Jesus' name. And he just keeps with boldness speaking. And pretty soon, there, there's a release. There's a deliverance. And it's as if she, she's set free. He said it was the most amazing. And this is a regular guy, like me and you. Like, he's just in the movies. And God puts him in this situation completely unexpected. But the Holy Spirit in him guided him to share what needed to be said. And I think that the more we're yielded to the Spirit of God, the more that the Lord will give us words in circumstances we didn't expect. 
I'm just, you know, you're just doing your job. You're just trying to get through the day. And all of a sudden, God puts you in a situation, and you're just sharing truth. But then you'll come home, and you'll say, that was the best part of my day. Because I talked about God. And in my own, in your own small way, you declared the wonders. That's what's happening here. They are declaring the wonders of God, that God is real, that God is good, that God saves, that he heals, he forgives, that Jesus is the son of God. And he rose from the dead, he conquered death. Imagine the wonders they declared. And people are hearing it in their own language. And then we get this wonderful third point, and I'm going to read on through 21, and let's see what happens. Verse 14, Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and vapors of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. (laughs) Amen. Peter makes sure that they know salvation is offered to everyone. What you've just witnessed isn't just for these 120 It's for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. And he makes it clear. First thing he says is, you need to hear this. Listen to this. Second thing he does is clarify this ridiculous thought that they've been drinking too much. He says it's only, what, third hour or uh, 9 a.m. is what it it works out to. He's saying, just put that, that aside. That isn't what's happening here. And then he goes on to do what was very powerful. Because remember, these are Jews from all over the world gathered. What did they look to as an authority? The Old Testament. So Peter quotes the Old Testament. He goes right back to the prophet. Because they would all, oh yeah, they believe the prophet. Of course, this is God's law to them, his word. So Peter wisely, the spirit leading him, quotes from the prophet Joel. And as he does, he talks about what is happening is exactly what Joel said would happen. The visions, the dreams, young and old, everyone, men and women, parents, grandparents, children, everyone. The Spirit is poured out upon them. And this is a joyful, wonderful thing. But then he adds a few more verses because he wants them to realize as wonderful and glorious this is, The rest of that prophecy will look a little different. You hear that? Blood, fire, smoke. There will be darkness before the day of the Lord. He lets them know this is a wonderful moment. Call on the name of the Lord because there will be a day 
And the, revelation, the book of Revelation describes it in detail if you've ever read it. The tribulation, and it won't be as celebratory for many because there will be a great outpouring of the things we describe, God's wrath, the darkness. And so he's saying now is the time to be ready. Call on the name of the Lord and be saved. How amazing is our God. We are not saved because of our intelligence, our goodness, our holiness. We're not saved because we were born into the right family or did really well in school. We're saved because we call on the name of the Lord and we believe. And he wants everyone to come to him. Everyone, young and old, regardless of who we are, where we're from, he is wanting everyone to believe. And so he pours out his spirit and he gives this great witness for those who are there. And I want to encourage you with this. When you give your life to the Lord, he will not just save you, he will change you. And you'll like how he changes you. Look at Peter. Peter was denying Jesus just a short while ago. He was afraid for his life. He wasn't taking a stand. And then when Jesus rose from the grave and Jesus has a heart-to-heart with Peter, remember by the Sea of Galilee? And Jesus says, you're going to follow me. You're going to go where you don't want to go. What was Peter's first thing? Well, what about John? Like he's comparing his situation to someone else. Am I getting a worse deal here? You know, is this fair? Right? He was, he was so just kind of self-absorbed about how things were working out for him. But look what happens here. He's standing up in front of thousands, and he's declaring the truth about God with boldness, with understanding. He's a changed man, and that's our God. He changes us because the Spirit does that. The Holy Spirit teaches us all things. The Holy Spirit reminds us of what Jesus said. The Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit guides. The Holy Spirit empowers us, and the Holy Spirit changes us. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the Spirit produces fruit that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Who doesn't want to be that person? The Spirit works in us everything we could ever want because that's the grace and goodness of our God. And all we have to do is believe and ask. Luke eleven thirteen, Jesus is comparing earthly fathers to the heavenly Father. And you know what he says? How much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? All we have to do is believe, and all we have to do is ask. Peter goes on to preach an amazing sermon. Pastor Jeff is going to share that with us next week, and I'm looking forward to it, and you'll hear the amazing work that God does in this moment. But before we get there, I just want to give you this challenge. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, today is the day. There could be no better time than to believe in him now. He pours out his spirit out of his love and grace. And the reason we're saved, the reason he can change us is because he paid the price when Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He paid the price that we should have paid ourselves. 
I've never met anyone who wouldn't admit that they have sin in their life. You know, you may not have as much sin as in your life as a person sitting next to you, but you, you have some amount. And, you, and we know that without God's grace, we would pay for it. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'll pay for it. And he did on the cross. But death didn't defeat him. On the third day, he rose again. And if we believe in him as Lord and Savior, really trust him as our Savior, we are forgiven, we're set free, we have eternal life. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit fills us. And everything we've learned about today, God works through us, in us, forever. He never leaves. He stays with us and holds us. And I hope, I hope today, I'm going to lead a prayer now. And if you haven't prayed, and I know many people watch online, but if you haven't prayed this prayer, just in your heart, I encourage you to pray it. Just open your heart and receive the Lord. I've prayed this prayer so many times, countless times, and I never get tired of praying it. Not that I need to be saved again. Don't hear that. We're saved once forever. But I love leading it for those who will believe. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage, this moment in history when the Spirit was poured out. That you would fill us and love us that much. It just... We're overwhelmed at times at a loss for words. But our hearts are full of joy and gratitude. And Lord, for those who you've been working in their life and you've been drawing them to you, and maybe there's been some defensiveness, some doubts, maybe even a little cynical and negative. But through that, Lord, you've continued to draw them. And you've broken down that resistance and they could feel it. And Lord, I pray that for those, you would lead them now. And for anyone who's here and you, you want to pray this prayer of faith, just in your heart, lift this up to the Lord as a prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins. You paid the price on my behalf you suffered, you were buried, but I believe, Lord, you defeated death, and on the third day, you rose again. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life now. I put my faith fully in you to be my Lord and my Savior. I believe in you. I will serve you and follow you and walk with you the rest of my life and forever. Thank you, Lord, for your love, for forgiveness, for being my God. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let's worship together. It's always the uh, person doing it. You know, it's, it's something I, I just had to share this real quickly. Um, I was traveling this last last weekend, and I'm not a good traveler. I like being places, but traveling is just always crazy to me. And I was talking actually to Rod about this last week, how we tend to, uh, I shouldn't say we, I said I tend to put my Christianity in a box where, you know, okay, I'm, I'm business now, and I'm doing this now, I'm doing that now. And I was in the airport and watching just the craziness around me. And 
I'm going, you know something, this is, and it's, this is not a new revelation, but this, the, everywhere, everywhere you go, you should be the light. And I talk about this a lot, but man, sometimes in travel, being on the highway, it's hard to be the light. And um, that just so hit me because so many people are in pain, so many people are scared, uh, angry, just all kinds of things going on. You never know. So just want to throw out there, uh, be the light and every day look for opportunities because God opens up stuff. But I think, like Rod said, we're in our own heads so much that we slide right by that door. So just saying that that's uh, kind of for me, maybe more than you, but uh, it's, it just really hit home last week when I was in, in the airport watching people and was going, dang, what am I doing? I need to be out there being the light, let go of my own stuff. Who has the verse, Ann? Nope. I'll read the verse, okay. <laughs> they lay their crowns down before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Revelation 4:10 through 11.
Hey, church, how are you doing this morning? I hate to come up and say something that isn't uplifting and glorious, so let me first just start with this. The babies that were crying in the building this morning, thank you for reminding me that the next generation of believer is present. Thank you, Rod, for encouraging us that the same spirit of God that fell some 2,000 years ago is still available and falling here today. And we do have some baby dedications coming up on Mother's Day, and we do have some baptisms and some testimonies that are going to be told in this building very soon, church. And the encouragement and the blessing of God's word is about to come. But I need to share with you guys something unfortunate, because life happens, and life is not fair. And a lot of times the things that make sense and the things that we're planning for, the best laid plan of mice and men, right? laid before the throne of God is nothing but humor. And this is not funny at all, but this is just to tell you just how sad life can be. Our friend and someone who volunteered to help out the elders this year, John Whiteman and his wife, Marley, John decided with his wife to come back and be an elder this year and give us the support and encouragement that we needed. We were short on elders. He's a very busy man, and he decided to come back and help us out with that. And unfortunately this week, he went back to playing golf and enjoying some time with the Lord, and his wife was in Borrego, and the Lord called him home from the golf course. And as unexpected as that is to tell you guys this morning, all I can tell you is this, is that John loved the church. John loved you guys. His wife loves you guys. And to serve the church was a high calling for him. But at this time, because this is such a shock for the Whitemans, Marley is the one in the church who writes handwritten cards to people when people suffer things. I would plead with you guys because we are so small and the desire to kind of reach out is so kind of overwhelming. Would you just provide space for her at this time? Would you just stand down in prayer and hold her up as she has some incredible choices and decisions to make that are just so unplanned for? And would you consider for her maybe to write something for her and then maybe of her own time on her own volition when she has the ability to process exactly what's taken place, she might be able to receive those cards and know what best to do. This is the plight of the small church. This is the reason why I implore each one of you each and every week, fight the good fight, but be prepared for God to come knocking on your door, right? There's things that make sense to us, and this really is difficult because Proverbs says, lean not into the things that make sense to you. Trust not in the things that make sense to you. Don't go down the road where why, why is this happening and that didn't happen. This is a place where it causes great separation between you and the Lord. But simply hold fast to this. This is why the day when we finally are reunited in heaven for eternity with those who we love so dearly will make even greater sense. But if you don't mind, I would like to just close in prayer right now. And if any of you need to stay and pray afterwards, Rod's here, I'm here, Bill's here, the elders are present. If you guys need anything, we'd love to pray with you. But please just bow your head with me at this moment as we stand before the Lord. Father God, it's a very sombering moment when you call somebody home early. And the reality is life is so precious. And that's why I feel the urgency each and every week on behalf of every pastor and every person who speaks on this pulpit to implore the word of God to the people listening, to someone watching even at home today, Father, to think that somehow our small little minuscule voice doesn't matter. But if it wasn't for those 120 people, which is about our number every week, 120 to 140 people, if it wasn't for those 120 people being available for the spirit of God to fall, the very church of God would not have been born. 
And Father, would you fall? Would you fall upon your church this morning? Would your spirit fall upon our dear sister Marley this morning? Father, would the great comforter fall upon her and provide her with the peace that passes all understanding, with the compassion and the love and the words that are far beyond even the most well-spoken person this morning. Father, I thank you for the support that she has around her. I thank you for the friendships that her and John have made. And I just pray that you would strengthen everyone's resolve in this building this morning that once again, here's a message like Pentecost that says, be prepared to respond to the word of God. Today could be the day that God is calling you to open the door to him. Father, I pray that on behalf of everything that John stood for, on behalf of everything that John helped teach us and show us and instruct us, Father, I pray that those beautiful and glorious and good things would be held in our hearts. And as we bow before you this morning, Father, in grief, we simply say, Father, not our will be done, but your will be done. And may we be the kind of church that comes alongside of Marley and comforts her in her time of need, just as we try to come alongside anyone in this church who's lost a loved one. Father, may everything that continues to happen and be said in this children build and grow the kingdom of God. We ask this in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. Church, God bless you. I'm sorry to give you this somber moment, but please, if you have any other needs or concerns, please come forward and let us know. If you have any prayer requests, you can put them in those white boxes on the back of the room. God bless you, and we'll see you next week. Thank you very much. You're dismissed.